Hey, you guys, just wanted to let you know we have an amazing show called The Game Changer Show each and every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. GMT, where we interview uh, entrepreneurs, athletes alike. Uh, it gives people uh, an, op- an opportunity to listen to people's story, how they made some, how they've kind of uh, really turned their business around. Uh, it's fun. It's thought provoking. It's an opportunity to ask questions uh, and it's interactive. So if you want to come uh, and hang out with some cool people, uh, 6 p.m. PM, please go to uh, youtube.com forward slash sleeve forward slash Adam Strong. Uh, subscribe and click on the bell, and we'll see you there on Wednesday at 6 p.m. GMT. Cheers. Take care. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, we have an absolute powerhouse on today's show. Her name is Jen Gruber. Now, who is Jen? Well, Jen has been tagged by Success Magazine as the one-woman brand. She's a creativity and innovation guru and a leading serial entrepreneur, which is dubbed by uh, Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, she was ranked by number, uh, number eight by SAP as the top 51 influencers on human potential, which I absolutely love, by the way. She made history at the New York Stock Exchange by uh, being as part of the all-female group to ring the uh, opening bell. She also made Forbes' list of 50 founders to follow and nominated TV Personality of the Year 2015. She has also two best-selling books. One of them is What If, Why Not? And also The More Method, which came out in 2019, which is the simple formula about how to get out your own way and everything that you want done in life. So um, without further ado, Jane Groover, woohoo! So happy to be here. Excited to be here. Listen, do you know what? I could, I mean, seriously, that your achievements are like they're out of this world. I mean, when people read out your <laughs> achievements and stuff, I mean, what, what, how do you feel about that? I, I, it's funny because when they're reading it and they keep going on, like if you kept reading the bio, which some people do when they're introducing me, I'm like, no, no, you could stop. <laughs> it's almost too much. Um, I feel proud. I um, feel almost like it's not real sometimes or like, did that really happen? <laughs> so, and, and you know, I just keep, wanting to achieve new different things. I mean, I've always been like that as a kid. I wanted to achieve things that other people weren't achieving. My mom had a TV show, it was a current affairs TV show, but she was a sports lover. So on the show, she would have athletes, professional athletes all the time, professional greats, legends. And um, she would basically have these conversations of what it takes from to be good to great. And I had to sit in that studio after school every single day. And I hated it. When I say hated, I mean like hated it. I just wanted to be outside with kids playing and having fun. And I really believe that those conversations were seeding my brain as an adult. Now looking back, that probably had a really significant, significant impact on how I wanted to navigate the world and how I wanted to be viewed Um, because these conversations would always make it feel like good is just mediocre. And I was like, well, I don't want to be mediocre. (laughs) So I have to do really cool things that are very different than everybody else. And kind of what I always did. I love that. And, and, you know, I've, I've listened to you and uh, listened to you and seen you on stage with the likes of Darren Hardy and Dr. Dennis Waitley, absolute legends in their own right. You know, great guys. And I, and, and also you've come to the UK, me being British, of course, and us as being, uh, I suppose now digital nomads and serial entrepreneurs as we are now. Yeah. What's really interesting is, I mean, you, you've got a lot of success in it, you know, from, which we'll discuss actually as, as we go through the conversation. But what I'm really fascinated about, Jen, is where that appetite for entrepreneurship really came from. Yeah, so I think it came from my dad, who wouldn't define himself as an entrepreneur, um, but he was an attorney, and um, he had his own law practice. And people would always say to him, well, why don't you go with this big firm? And big firms would try to get him to go there. And he would always say, no, 
I don't want to work on Fridays. I want to come and go as I please. And I never want to answer to anybody. And I was like, huh, never answer to anybody. Come and go as you please. And never work on Fridays. If you don't want to, I'm in. So I think that was part of it. And then I, uh, I'm an Aries and it's my birthday month. And I always was pretty headstrong. I didn't like to be really directed too much either. I'm very fiercely independent. And I had a really hard time with thinking I could grow only as fast as somebody else said I could grow. Like this manager was going to evaluate me once a year to determine if I could elevate. And that felt like really weird to me. And it also felt like that could stifle my growth. Like what if I'm growing faster than everybody else, but I have to wait a whole year for someone to tell me I can get a raise for a small percentage. And all of it just felt so weird to me. And I didn't want anyone in, to be able to cap my growth. So that was a big part of it. And then I fell in love with fitness. I was an athlete growing up. So I fell in love with the fitness movement in the nineties. And my first entrepreneurial endeavor was actually in college. I didn't realize I was doing it, but I went home for a holiday and started doing step aerobics, which I just completely aged myself for your audience. But I did step aerobics and I loved it so much and I wanted to do it back at school. So I went to my administrators and I said, can you guys, I'll start a group fitness program if you can give me steps, a boom box <laughs> and a space. And with a cassette player that was, um, and they gave it to me and I would just charge people $3 a class and I would be making all this money when a lot of people showed up for class. And it was a, such a high for me, this incredible high. Like I created this movement where everybody's moving together and the music's playing loud. And that high really stuck with me in the sense that I wanted to feel that high constantly in life. And so when I graduated college, I, the fitness industry was still very young. I was 1995. And I uh, started a gym and I became a master trainer and I traveled the world leading the fitness movement, uh, these conventions everywhere and speaking and training all these other trainers. And it was, it was amazing. And once you feel that it's hard to go back, I could never go back. So my whole life has just been one build on from each step that I've taken along the way. Very cool. Love it. It's really interesting. We have similarities, even though I, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I have a lot of friends who are Aries as well, and they're very fiery people. You know, like they, you know, they just, you know, they just do, they're doers. But I, I yes, heard that we are. I heard the universe <laughs> tells me that Aries get on very well with Taurus, because I'm a Taurus, by the way. So, but you know, not that I'm kind of really into astrology or anything. So I just want to let you know, listeners. Um but Aries it, actually the only sign that gets along with every sign. <laughs> really i didn't know that <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. well, you get along with all the signs as long <laughs> as you do what we say to do <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> <laughs> well um didn't you also compete in um uh what's going to say it wasn't bodybuilding but didn't you also compete in t t in some sort of like capacity in fitness as well yep i became a national level fitness competitor during that time i did the national aerobics championships. I did uh, the galaxy fitness competitions. So it wasn't bodybuilding. It was fitness. You actually couldn't be really jacked up. You just had to be real lean uh, and defined. If, if you were too built, they'd be like, you're not allowed. You can't compete in this. And it was really, it was about feminine power, you know, not needing to change the feminine image to compete. Interesting, because I, I, know, I know that like kind of, you know, like with women and the whole kind of female movement, which is very trendy, even now in 2021, right? Yeah. But you're, you're talking about something which was kind of late 90s, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Which is really yep. interesting. Where did that, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just kind of interesting because I'm very pro-woman anyway. I'm just kind of fascinated from your perspective, where was the opportunity there? Was there you mentioned about like kind of fighting for women's rights. Was there a, like a, a childhood experience that you had or, or something that kind of triggered that thought process? I was just intrigued. So my mom ran campaigns for politicians um, and she was one of very few females in that arena. Uh, she speak at all these conventions. I was door to door campaigning by the time I was three. My first job was sticking 
stamps on envelopes in campaign headquarters. Um, so my mom did what she did because she was tired of being a woman that was a vote and she wanted to be a voice. And so my mom would always say, if you want to get something done in life, don't, you need to be a voice. You need to be an advocate. You need to be fearless. And she was, she was a sassy Brooklyn, New York lady, very Italian, hot-headed. She was fierce. So I think that's really where it came from. You know, a lot of people always put me in this women's empowerment bucket, which I never really put, I never labeled myself that. But I think because I, as a woman, um, really kind of stood as a woman, I believe in feminine power as a really powerful power. And I was in that, that stage you know, I'm, I'm, I turn 48 next week. And I was in that stage where many women were still choosing to embrace the masculine energy in order to feel like that's what they had to do to be successful. And I never wanted to do that. And, and this was before this conversation. I mean, I guess this is all very intuitive for me. Now it's actually a conversation, um, but I always wanted to be strong feminine energy. Yes, I would harness masculine energy as a driver too, but I wanted to do it in a very feminine way. Um, and and I, I think that was, I, I hope I paved the way for a lot of other females uh, to feel that they could do that too. Cause so many women would come up to me and be like, I feel like you're me. I feel like you're the girl next door that I could grab drinks with and have a great time with, but then build a business with. And, and, and that's what I wanted it to be too. Like a woman, woman, women don't need to be a bitch. Sorry. Can I say that to be successful? As a matter of fact, I made it my mission to be as kind and compassionate and thoughtful in my journey. And as a role model, as a leader, uh, that you can be a strong female with, with being also very feminine at the same time. Sounds like your parents had very good attributes they passed on to you down the line, by the way. I just want to, uh, we just want to kind of like make sure that we uh, acknowledge that, by the way. So, and it sounds well, you know, like, it's funny. Say it's, again? it's funny. It's funny because they did, but I had an incredibly dysfunctional childhood. Um, my parents were both such alphas. They should have never gotten married. Uh, I wouldn't be here if they didn't, but they shouldn't have gotten married or shouldn't have stayed married as long, but it was very, very tumultuous marriage. Um, my dad grew up very poor, um, very abusive, emotionally unavailable family. He was a, had been a Marine. So he was an a highly functioning alcoholic uh, for a very long time in my childhood. So I lived through a ton of abuse and it was very traumatic. And, you know, there's times where my mom would just grab us in the middle of the night and we'd be sleeping in a station wagon or in a neighbor's house. So it was, there was scary times, but, but I would say they both gave me definitely some great attributes. I mean, my dad instilled my work ethic from day one, you know, I would, I'd be a teenager sleeping and he'd come, he'd leave at like 6am and he'd come back to the house at nine to get something. And he'd be like, why are you sleeping the day away? Get up. You're, everyone's done a day's work. I'm like, what a teenager. What am I supposed to do? Love it. Love it. It also sounds like your mom should have gone for Congress or something. You know, she was, she was in council. So, um, she ran campaigns for congressmen. She ran campaigns for governors. She ran campaigns for uh, presidents. So it was such a, it, it still is today. It's worse today. It was just such a negative, toxic space. And even as a child, I just watched how toxic it was and how toxic power can be to people that lose sight of why they started doing what they were doing. Um, you know, my mom got one of the longest term congressmen in, in US in office and watching him with these great intentions and this fierce passion to make a change. And then just a few years later, he drank the Kool-Aid and he was just one of the rest of them. And it's, it was just, and, and the power tripping and the ego and uh, just, Ugh. I, people always say to me, you should run for office. And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Will I swim in that cesspool? No, it, it's, it's tough. I mean, no, I, I absolutely would tell you 100%. Don't do that, Jen. You're doing great. <laughs> You're good. No. But that's interesting. And, you know, politics, no, that, no, not interested in that, but no, nope. interesting. I, 
Interesting. I can be an advocate. I can be an advocate without being in politics. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Um, anyway, switching subjects, because I, um, I'm fascinated to uh, ask you this question, because I know that you came up with the concept of butler bag, okay, which is one of your first inventions, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. How did that, I mean, where did that kind of creative, where, where did that spark of creativity come from? And how does butler bag differ from all the other millions and billions of handbags out in the world? So the creativity started when I was a kid. I think I was born creative, but uh, I'm left-handed. So they, they say left-handed handed people are more creative. But I also use my imagination as my escapism from the craziness that was happening around me at home. And, and there's a lot of power in imagination. And while I got in trouble, when I was staring out the window in school, imagining things, it became a very good skill set later in life. But I was a spokesperson at... QVC for other brands uh, for a really long time. And I was just fascinated because I was already an entrepreneur at that time, but I, had, I only had service-based businesses. And I always wanted to create something because when you create something, you have leverage, right? There, there's, you know, you know, sales are happening and it can in service now too, but back then it was more rare. Service was just, you're trading time for money. And I wanted to be making money while I was sleeping. So I was watching all these people create these widgets that turned into multi, multi-million or even billion dollar companies. And I knew I had ideas just like they did. And I had an idea journal with those ideas in the idea journal. And um, there was a part of me that was so afraid of failure that I needed to work through. I wouldn't have created the butler bag if I didn't work through this, this part of, my, so my dad would always say failure is not an option which I totally understand if you're at war on a battlefield. But if you teach a child failure is not an option and the child has good self-preservation skills, the child's only gonna do what they're good at for fear of failing, which minimizes your potential and your ability to expand who you are because there's a lot of growth and failure as well. A tremendous amount of growth and failure. Uh, so um, I recognize all these people are turning these companies and multi-million dollar businesses. I'm making them $5,000 plus an hour while I'm selling for them online. And why are they doing it? And I wasn't going to that next level. And I realized that it was my fear of failure. And, and so one of the things I teach in human potential is this human pattern process in order to change belief systems. So um, this was an enormous breakthrough for me. And then I share it with everybody else. I know I'm going on a tangent a little bit. I feel like your listeners would appreciate this. So whenever you realize you're stuck, it's a moment of truth. You can stay stuck and stay where you are. You can decide to call yourself out and figure out how to get out of your stuckness. So I, uh, and, and when we're stuck, it's because of a belief or beliefs that we have that are holding us back. So I recognized at that time where I kept saying, What's, what do they have that I don't have? Why do they have the courage that I don't have? And it was because of this fear of failure. I recognized it at this time. So when you recognize this belief that has to change, that I believed if I failed, I was a failure, then I had to flip the belief. So you literally take whatever that belief is and try and invert belief. So for me, it was, I have more fear of regret than I have a failure, which is actually right behind me, I have more fear of regret than I have a failure. So when you flip the belief, now you created a new affirmation. As you say this, you're now creating new neural pathways in your brain. And the more you say it, you strengthen the new neural pathways and you weaken the old neural pathways. So an affirmation is meant to be said over and over and over again for that science reason in neuroscience to create new neural pathways and strengthen them. So eventually it becomes your primary thought and your primary belief, but you've got it. There's a lot of time that has to pass. And for 30 some years up to that point, I feared failure. I'm gonna have to say that affirmation all day, every day. And eventually it just became who I was. I don't believe that I would have seen the opportunity in the dishwasher had I not changed that belief. I listen, I unloaded my dishwasher my whole life. It was my number one chore, right? But I never saw the dishwasher tray as a, a utility to organize my handbag until shortly after I rewired my 
programming, when I change my belief systems. When you change your belief, you change your view of the world. So that dishwasher tray that never was anything before but an annoying th thing, the tour that I had to do, was now a multi-million dollar opportunity. So I took the dishwasher tray out of the dishwasher, stuck it in my handbag at the time, and um, was like, wait, this is what I want. This is what every woman wants. <laughs> and ran upstairs, looked up every configuration of if, to see if it existed, and it didn't. And, and I began my scavenger hunt to product success. And um, it was a journey. And I learned a lot along the way. And if I had feared failure anymore at that point, I would not able to be a successful, I would have probably stopped in my tracks. But this new belief that I created, this new affirmation I created, every time I felt that fear come up, this fear of failure, I would look at it head on and literally call it out. I have more fear of regret than I have of failure. I don't want to regret not taking a chance right now. I don't want to regret not doing this and telling my children how, my, how great my ideas were, but I never executed any of them. So um, what made it different is it was the first ever compartmentalized handbag. There was never ever before in history um, handbags with compartments built inside. Afterwards, there was a lot of the knockoffs that were like that. You take them in and out. They don't really work. In theory, it's a good idea because you're like, oh, yeah, I can just move it around. The problem is they'd always flip. Things would fall underneath them. You'd be like, I lost my credit card. You'd find it three weeks later underneath your, your insert. So, and quite honestly, then you just become an insert maker versus a handbag maker, handbag designer. So eventually Avon took over that uh, license and then it was like a dream come true. Very cool. Excellent. Love it. Good answer. Now, interestingly enough, and I'm a real, I'm, I'm, I'm really into, you know, creating powerful visions, right? But what I'm really interested in is how, when you see a vision, right? Because I mean, you've had lots of visions in, in you know, I'm sure in the, in, in the past and even now, how do you take a vision and turn it into a reality? Is there a, a methodology that you use? I mean, I just see so many entrepreneurs that maybe are stuck and kind of moving in trans, you know, they're in transcendence with regards to, okay, how do I create my vision? Like, how do I turn it into a reality? What is your take on this? It can be different in every situation, but one of my key strategies is that I have learned to either create quick growth and then license. Some things I don't even have to now, having achieved the different things I've achieved, Sometimes I don't even need to bring something to market to license it, thankfully. But, but you know, the butler bag was the first thing I brought to market that I had to really show success and growth in, in order to get licensed. And then after that, I would say to people, I have an idea and I kind of create a, a business plan around it, but then they would license the idea and execute it. Um, but the other thing I do that I know a lot of entrepreneurs get their idea and they're like, no, it's my idea. It's my idea. And, and I have a belief that 100% of $100 is $100. But 20% of $100,000 or $100 million, even though it's 20%, is still a lot more. So I believe in partnering with people who have strengths where I have weaknesses. And uh, most of my companies are partnerships. I find somebody that has what I don't have and their strengths or my weaknesses and vice versa. So the screen behind me is a company that I started during COVID because so many people were doing online that were never doing it before. And next thing you know, I'm in like people's bedrooms and stuff. And I was like, this is really weird. And I know that, you know, like Zoom started doing the virtual ones, but your head kind of gets lost in it. And if you don't have an updated computer, it doesn't work. So create these screens so you can have them branded, but I don't like the manufacturing process at all. So I identified a guy who I went to college with who already had a production company, already had a fulfillment center, which I don't want to manage any of that. And we partnered. I'm really good at marketing. I have all the relationships with the companies and, and he didn't. So we came together and that was it. So I like marriages like that, so to speak, marriages, being honest, you know, another partnership in this sports management company called Thusio. Uh, when I first started working with them, I had all the relationships they needed. And I'm really good at connecting people. And that's what they needed, accelerated connections. And, but I said to them, I will make the introductions faster than you can keep up with, but I will not nurture that pipeline 
I don't want to do it. I don't like doing it and I'm not good at it. So they were like, okay, great. We'll give you a salesperson. So they gave me a salesperson that I would make the introductions and then put it in that funnel for them. And the salesperson loves it because the hardest part for most salespeople are getting the top of the funnel in, right? And then they would just massage the relationship and close the deal. And so the more we can identify what our strengths are, the faster we can be an asset to ourselves and others. Love it. Very good. Excellent. For me, this is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The last 18 months, I mean, I've been on a bit of a journey myself personally. And one of the realizations that I have came to realize is the power of the universe. Now, I know that you believe this, right? The power of the universe. And what's the word? I suppose creating manifestations, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which to some of our listeners might sound a bit woo-woo, but just stay with me, guys. Just stay with me, okay? What do you believe in terms of the power of the universe and creating manifestation? And how do you apply this, should we say, power of the universe in, in, in what you do? So... For anyone who thinks this is woo-woo, it's actually science and it's called quantum physics. And if you want to start to understand the, just the entry level of quantum physics, uh, you can Google what's called the observer theory. And it's literally a cartoon that will come up that will show you what quantum physics is in a very elementary way, but it will be your introduction. And it will also teach you to not think about what you don't want and think about what you do want because your thoughts are energy that create reality. So what do I believe? One million percent in that. And why? Because I was fortunate enough to have Bob Proctor as a personal mentor of mine in my 20s. So this is back in the late 90s and the early 2000s. So imagine how woo-woo this sounded then, right? This is way before The Secret came out. Right. But everything he was teaching were the universal laws, just like gravity is a universal law. So universal laws of abundance, universal laws of manifestation, universal laws of attraction. So they're all laws. There's actually physics applied to them. So I had never experienced information like this. Like when I was talking about my mom earlier and those athletes, they were applying these principles, but they weren't breaking them down, so to speak, when she was interviewing them. And, and, and it's now when I look back and, and everything we're learning today in the universal laws, it was very 3D language. 3D is, is ego, 3D is materialism, 3D is very, very one-dimensional. And we're now, as, a, as, as the universe accelerates in speed, we're now, many of us are elevating in consciousness to what's called 4D or 5D. So, I hope for the most part, I stay in 4D, 5D, but it's just like, mean, we'll all slide back to 3D. But I have manifested literally everything that I am today. Coming from the childhood I had, my brother is only 11 months older than me. So while my parents instilled good things, there was a lot of trauma. And trauma can very much override all these other good things if you don't heal the trauma. So my brother's only 11 months older than me and we are completely opposite human beings because he took the victim mindset and he became very angry, very entitled, uh, very overweight, self-sabotaging, would cheat on every partner he was with. And this way we caught my dad cheating on my mom. He would repeat the cycle. Luckily I went to college and studied psychology and realized how to create pattern disruption. And I also did something else that was very subconscious, but I thank God I did it. Every single one of my best friends in high school and college all had intact, amazing families. I would literally just sit in their homes and pretend I was part of the family. I would pretend I was one of them. And they all adopted me. Like they would all take me on family vacations and I'd be there all weekend. And so going back to the manifestation, I, I very well could have gone down a different path. Like my brother, and by the way, my brother was way smarter than me, way smarter than me, textbook smarter. So everything that I am, everything that I have, I created it way before it was as an author, as a speaker, you know, when I was younger and I was in the fitness world and I was like, I want to, I want to like take this to the next level. Like for the rest of my life, I want to be able to get paid to travel the world and inspire people and, and, and I'm living it. So I 
believe in it so much. So much so I'm gonna share just a little story with you um, because I think this is a really incredible example. So my children were three years old at the time. They're now 17. And they went down for a nap and Sesame Street had been on. So PBS was on. And I went back to the TV room to clean it up. And, and now all of a sudden, rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki is doing this PBS special. And I kind of stopped dead in my tracks. It's what I call like a Polaroid moment. We've all had a life where everything kind of just freezes. And you remember that moment in time so clearly. So I look up at the TV and I was like, that's genius. He's doing a live speaking engagement or taped, it doesn't matter. He's doing a speaking engagement, selling his books and a game, but now it's televised. That's so much more reach than I get and a, a speaking engagement. I mean, unless you're like at a major speaking engagement where you're 30,000 people in the stadium, but right. nonetheless, like this was amazing. And I sat down in my chair and I just kind of observed and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a PBS special. Now, I, I didn't even have a book deal at this point. I had no idea what my book was going to be. I'm like, going to do this. And I envisioned myself standing on that stage, selling my books. Like there was a book. I didn't know what it looked like, but it was there. And then I got up. I literally impressioned this, this vision in my brain. Had no doubt. That's a big part. I had no doubt. I had no idea how I was going to do it. No idea when I was going to do it. I just kept moving on with my life. I actually forgot about that vision. Years later, I, I never told anyone this vision either because I literally forgot about it. Years later, I get a phone call out of nowhere. And it's this man who says, hey, my name is Richard and I'm a producer at PBS. And we're looking for a female Wayne Dyer meets Robert Kiyosaki. And I was, and they, and I heard it was you. And I was like, you did? Who said that? And he was like, this guy, and he told me some guy I was friends with who was also very influential in, in that space. And he's, and I said, this, he's like, we're, we're looking for a female like you to do a PBS special with. I, I think he loved me after this. Cause I'm like, shut up. No, you're not. So it's like the Seinfeld episode with Eileen, like, shut up. <laughs> like, no, you're not. This is crazy. I literally manifested this. I, and I told him the whole story and he was like, wow, you did a really good job. Cause I also was the producer of Robert Kiyosaki's PBS special oh, too. Yeah. Holy yeah. crap. Yes. And at that moment, there had only been six, six of those PBS specials ever made. Wow. Uh, Wayne Dyer, Robert Kiyosaki, Susie Orman, and a couple others. That's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's a great stuff. That, that, that's a really good story. I love that. Thank you. Now, interestingly enough, your second book, The More Method, which was released in 2019, tell us some more about The More Method as such, and how does it how does it apply to a lot of our listeners, which are mainly entrepreneurs? Yeah, so it actually didn't launch until 2020. My publisher put the pub date on it. It's 2019. Ah. Uh, but bad. there was some delays. It's, it wasn't your fault. If you look on Amazon, it says 2019. But we actually launched it in 2020. I had actually gone to Asia for a book tour in February 2020. <laughs> February to early March. Yeah, I, I cut China out of that tour, but I, nonetheless, I did the tour. People were like, are you crazy? What are you doing there? <laughs> I'm like, I'm following my, my dreams. So uh, I, I come home now it's March, early March. And I went away for a few days to a, a wedding in Mexico for a friend came back March 17th and everything was shut down. Uh, so my book tour came to a, a screeching halt. We couldn't even get the books into Amazon for a couple months because they were only taking essentials, no new books or products like that. So I said to my publisher, like, well, what do we do? Like, I don't even know what to do right now. She's like, I don't either. This, this is like never happened before. So I'm like, well, I feel bad promoting this like really positive book. Although everyone needs this right now, I feel to self-promoting and I, I I think it kind of like ruined things. I had 150 speaking engagements canceled overnight. Some eventually moved to virtual, but it's not the same. You, when you're on stage and you're exchanging energy with people and you're teaching them the principles in your book, everyone runs to the back of the room to buy a book and in virtual, you could still affect people, but 
their intentions to buy the book and then they go to their next task and then the next, like next thing you know, they forgot. So um, we decided that we were gonna let 2020 ride out as a soft launch and then now uh, pick it back up as a full swing launch. So I'll have a book launch party in the next month. And so in May, uh, we'll kick it off. So now that people are traveling again and people can, I'm actually having a birthday party next week, which I'm excited about. <laughs> Yeah, so um, certain areas have more freedom than others. Florida is the most freedom. My birthday party is not in Florida, but <laughs> nonetheless. So, so yeah, so the more method is a culmination of my 20 plus years of teaching human behavior, bringing together multiple disciplines. So I mentioned earlier, my degrees in psychology and education. My continued education was in physiology and nutrition, obviously as a fitness competitor. And then, um, I was obsessed with quantum physics, thanks to Bob, introduced me to quantum physics. So I've been studying that for over 20 years. <laughs> so, so people would be like, What's, what are you interested in quantum physics? People would be like, what? That's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> it's my obsession. Listen, when you learn quantum physics and the way my daughters actually explained it to me when I was nine is your body becomes one big magic wand. Love it. That's fantastic. You could just wrap that up. <laughs> well, yeah, like, who doesn't want to use their body as one big magic wand for good? So, so then I started studying neuroscience because I felt like the subconscious mind, the, the, the mysteries around the subconscious mind are, are so profound to our potential. And there's so much more still to learn, but neuroscience is such a fast growing science that we're learning a lot quickly. But in quantum physics, I always felt like, okay, I understand this, but what if my subconscious mind is blocking me and I don't even know? So I studied um, neuroscience and then I also studied metaphysics and Buddhism. Uh, and Buddhism, people ask me, what are the best books to buy on emotional intelligence? And I say Buddhism, Buddhist books, books about Buddhism. Buddhism is the practice of emotional intelligence. Uh, the practice of kindness, compassion, empathy, understanding, the art of letting go, which is the hardest for me. <laughs> That's the hardest in the ascension. But um, I, I wanted to create a framework, a, a method right. to teach people how to get from where they are to where they want to go, no matter where they are to where they want to go, no matter what stage or age they were in life. And, and it I wanted to make it very tangible because when I'm speaking, sometimes what I'm saying to a lot of people from quantum physics standpoint or metaphysics standpoint or neuroscience even seems so big and so hard to, there's so many layers to it. How do I simplify human behavior and human potential for people in 30 to 45 minutes in a keynote? And that was my, my quest to figure out how to, to hack that. So the more method um, basically became more method became um, this acronym for people to use as a framework. So M stands for mindfulness. So in order to get more of what you desire in life, you must first become mindful. You have to be mindful of where you are to know where, you're, where you want to go. You have to be mindful of your daily habits to constantly audit the habits that are helping you and and get rid of the ones that are hurting you. So I really break it down into this like auditing system of mindfulness. So it doesn't seem so elusive. Then O is the optimization of body and brain. So in order to get more of what you desire in life, if you optimize your physiological state, you'll optimize your mental emotional state. Optimizing our physiological state is one of the only things we have control of in life. We don't, we can't control other people what they're going to do, what they're going to say. We can control though, how we treat ourselves and our bodies. And the more we treat our bodies like athletes, so I always say, I'm like, I treat my body like an athlete in business. I want to be able to perform optimally and have laser focus and mental clarity. And then I'm more creative and strategic. So if I don't treat my body well, I am mental mush feeling like everything's hard and everything's heavy. So people always say they want more time. And I say, you want more time? Optimize your physiological state. Because then you will be able to do more in four hours than most people can do in eight hours. And so that, that whole part, I, again, have an auditing system of how you can every day evaluate how to keep optimizing your physiological state and biohack and, and, and mind hack. So then the R is learning to be more responsive to life than reactive. So um, 
if we are reactionary to life, we are not going to get more out of life. We're going to repel a lot of relationships uh, and we're not going to be happy. And the more we learn to respond to life in a way that allows us to stay less emotionally triggered day in and day out, the more we will get out of life and every single one of our relationships. And so I teach what I call mindset shifts. So this one chapter, the R chapter is really boiling down an enormous amount of emotional intelligence training into what I call mindset shifts. So for example, the first mindset shift is nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. So if you're learn if you're in a reactionary moment and if you say to yourself, nothing has meaning until I give it meaning, what meaning am I giving it right now that it's triggering me and what meaning should I give it so it no longer triggers me? You're in charge of that. You are the meaning maker of everything in your life. So you get to choose, do you want to give it a meaning that hurts you or you want to give it a meaning that helps you? And obviously if you want to win at life, you got to quiet the ego and give it a meaning that helps you instead of hurts you. Or one other one is um, what you focus on expands. So if you find yourself focusing on things you're complaining about all day, well, then you're going to get a lot more things to complain about all day. So focus on things that you're grateful for. Focus on things that are going right and you'll get more of that. Uh, so there's 10 of those mindset shifts throughout that chapter that really are teaching emotional intelligence in a simplified way. And then the E is excelling in all aspects of life. And this is really about teaching people about holistic success. Everyone's striving for fulfillment, fulfillment and happiness. And, and so a lot of people set out to become successful, but thinking that success is only a monetary thing or a label. And, and success is really, if you're only going down that path, once you get down there, you're like, wait, I got all the houses, the cars and all these things. And I'm still not happy right. because all the other aspects of my life I ignored. So holistic success is understanding there's four core quadrants of your life, which is your professional achievement, your personal evolution, you being coming better every day, your health and well-being. Without that, you have nothing. And then your relationships, ideally the health of your relationships, because if your relationships are falling apart, every other aspect of your life is also going to fall apart eventually too. So you see this all the time where people go to college and they're like, if you get a good degree and you get a good job, then you're going to be really happy and really successful. And all of a sudden they wake up in their forties and they're like, okay, I did all these things. I, I'm really not that happy. I, I have stuff, but I'm not that happy. My wife hates me or my husband hates me. My kids are going off to college. I don't even know them. And, and then they have this midlife crisis because they didn't nurture and nourish all four core quadrants of their lives along the way. But if you if you're successful at your relationships and you're successful at your health and well-being and you're successful at your own self-mastery, you cannot not be successful professionally. And so we go about it, I think, backwards in society where we go for that professional success first. But if you do all the other things successfully, that cannot not be. Yeah. And here's the interesting part. There, there's like what you're talking about, like the more method exactly it's so relevant in this day and age. Like it's not 1990s. This is 2021. It's so relevant. And like, you're so on ball there. So uh, I just want to say that's great. Um, I know that, um, I was going to say, it, talking about evolution, right? Because you talked about evolution. Um, yeah. And um, I guess my, I suppose, because we're coming towards the end of our um, chat and stuff. I'm a real big believer in um, entrepreneurial evolution, right? How we evolve as human beings, but also as, 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 as entrepreneurs and as business owners, right? How do you continue to evolve, you know, because you've achieved so much, right? And I'm not, this is not, by the way, guys, if you're listening in, this is not a show where you're comparing each other to, you know, the mirages on social media, because I just hate that crap. Um, right. Yeah, so, you know, it's a lot of I just want to put that out, but they know that anyway. But how do you continue to evolve as a person? Like, what is better? What is like, you know, for you? What is the next level for Jen Groover? And do you have any, any advice for people listening about how they should evolve and what is, you know, how should they go around doing it? So I believe that entrepreneurship is a journey of self transformation. Mm -hmm. In order to be a 
successful entrepreneur, you have to wake up every day, look in the mirror and call yourself out on your limitations. And if you don't, you won't evolve. And it can be a really uncomfortable process a lot of the times. But if we're not honest with ourselves, it's gonna be hard to be honest with anybody else. And that therefore you're not a good partner, you're not a good front man or woman, Um, you're not gonna evolve. If you're not evolving, your business isn't evolving. And so, you know, for me personally right now, 2019 was probably the hardest year of my life. And 2020 was a bit of a recovery of that. I mean, multiple things happened that year that were just like, my dad passed away, but, but I believe my stepsister and my stepmom played a part in that, which was kind of tragic. And my one daughter got Lyme disease. Um, she had had Lyme disease, but it attacked her brain and she had severe neurological damage and she was bedridden and she had all these things happening to her body that none of the doctors could figure out how to fix. COVID was actually a miracle for her. The reason is when I came home from Asia, the doctor gave her, this before it became all political, the doctor gave her hydroxychloroquine uh, as a prophylactic. And all of a sudden she started getting better. Like I noticed she was getting better. And I was like, is there any way that this could actually cure Lyme disease? And he's like, well, I guess so. It's an antiviral. And it also helps with a ton of immunosuppressant issues. So I went into this Lyme community. I was like, is there any way that this has helped any of you before? And they're like, yeah, it's an underground secret. I'm like, for 10 years, I've been dealing with this roller coaster and it was a 10 cent pill was the answer and no one talks about it. And it's not FDA approved. Anyway, that was a miracle. But in 2019, she was until, until basically April last year, she was bedridden and I went through a, a traumatic breakup from a very long relationship. And then I had my own health scare. So it was just one of those years that I just felt like I couldn't get up from. And I was just in fight or flight. Right. So 2020 was, I was still kind of in fight or flight, but I was a lot more grounded, obviously, because we all were. But 2021 for me, and I, again, to me as an entrepreneur, my personal growth is the reflection of my professional growth. So what I'm doing personally is going to play out professionally. So this year is about me learning to let go of control. And, and I didn't realize how much I, I, I'm pretty laid back and I'm really go with the flow in many ways, but I'm not in other ways. And, and I am, I'm like, I'm a free spirit, very spontaneous. You're like, hey, you want to go on a trip tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, where are we going? Even if it's not logical, I'm like, okay, I'll go. But I, I controlled a lot more in my close space than I realized. And I think it goes back to my childhood because so much was out of my control. Like I became OCD in my bedroom. Everything in my bedroom was perfect because I couldn't control anything outside of my bedroom. So I tried to control everything in my bedroom. So I, I feel like I, I'm now committed to like, say la vie, whatever floats your boat, whatever happens, happens. And this art of letting go, which I, again, I said earlier is to me, the highest ascension in, in Buddhism, letting people be who they are. I mean, it's hard for what I do for a living, right? Like I f- help people help themselves. I, I help people fix their problems. So I can't be a teacher and a speaker in my personal life constantly, or even in my professional life when people don't want me to be. So, so that's one of my biggest things I think that will lead to later content for me. And, and also I'm still in a healing mode from what's happened. Like those last two years of self healing process. So one of the biggest things I'm doing right now, and again, I believe all these life experiences lead so much into my content and the focus on my content is I have become really really involved in all corporate training, but retraining. So during COVID, they all learned that they didn't really have any human behavior experts creating their leadership trainings. <laughs> who did it? They're like, oh, HR. I'm like, what? they have no behavior like expertise. This is so crazy where the manager did it and the manager did what their manager did. And then the, and I'm like, wait, there's no rhyme or reason here. So I'm doing a lot of that. And I actually just... Uh, started working with this other company called Life Brand, which is amazing. It's proprietary software that, and this young company that scrubs all negative things off of social media. 
for your brand, for your personal brand or your business brand. Uh, and in Q3, uh, there's a product going to be launched that uh, can scrub negative reviews as well. So, because sometimes they're legit and you want them, but sometimes they're vindictive, right? So the vindictive ones are really a challenge for many businesses. So especially, I feel like last year people got really angry about everything in life, but anyway, um, that's exciting for me too. So I'm constantly always involved in new projects and new businesses and this life brand one's me fun. I'm going to do all of their cultural innovation and strategic partnerships. That's cool. I love it. I love it. You know, it's interesting, you know, even though you've had a lot of personal challenges in the last, and do you know what I, what I love about this conversation is that you've been open, you've been honest, you know, and the thing is, is that, you know, I, I'm a big, I'm really kind of magnetized towards people that are real. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, 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 you're a human being like all of us, right? We, you know, we all go through those kind of ups and downs in life and, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and that's what I, that's what I, I feel is kind of, for me, that's what kind of attracts me to you because I, I like that about you. Okay. I like that about uh, a lot of people and stuff like that. So I just want to say, thanks very much. I really appreciate that for, for your openness about that. Well, I don't know how to be other than this. I always joke, I'm from this place outside of Philadelphia called Delco. And Delco is a thing. If you actually Google Delco, it's like a thing. And Delco. the guy who does the pizza reviews from Barstool Sports was, was he's like, I'm in this place in Delco. He's like, there's like a definition for Delco. <laughs> um, but it's a majority old. It originally originated as a blue collar area. Obviously a lot of blue collar people became wealthy, but there's a blue collar mindset of loyalty here. There's a blue collar mindset of even if you get bigger, don't act like you did. Like no one likes a bragger. <laughs> and if you, if you act like that, you'll get knocked out at the knees pretty quickly. So everyone stays humble is really what it comes down to. So there's a lot of success that's come from this area. Um, there's actually a movie that just came out from one of my friends about this area. I just launched like last week um, called The Last Call. But it's, it's, it's definitely something that's kept me humble. Wherever I go, people are like, you're just so normal. And I'm like, uh, I don't know how to be any other way with this. But I also believe, and, and I know that you've seen this too. Right. If you're teaching human behavior and you're not real and authentic, then you're a fraud. Yeah. And, and I see this constantly when I'm going to conferences and I'm getting on stage and off stage and these other speakers are there and some have bodyguards around them and <clears throat> won't talk to people afterwards. And I'm like, who do you think you are? <laughs> or if you go on to Clubhouse, by the way, and you listen to all the bullshitters on there, it's just, oh my God, it just makes me cringe. And I'm like, you know, well, uh, and, and you've probably hit, I know that you've heard me, you, you know, we, we, you've joined us a, a little bit, but I actually created a room on Clubhouse, Jen, yeah? And it's called yeah. No BS or Ego. I actually created the room. I love and, it. And people love it, literally, yeah. it's the charts. And we go in there Tuesdays and Fridays, right? We have a different topic, we talk about it. And literally most of the moderators that come in, they come in time and time and time again. They come back, right? Because for me, I just don't tolerate any of that BS. I just don't have time for drama. None of that no, crap. None of it. Um, Me either. I live in the drama-free zone. I actually have a t-shirt line. <laughs> and one of the t-shirts is Ooh. the drama-free the drama zone. <laughs> so I'm with you. I taught my daughters this. It's really amazing because as parents, we are programmers. Right. And if you know you're a programmer, you're a lot more intentional about what you're programming. So from day one, especially that they were girls and knowing what middle school for girls is like, I program them that we live in the drama free zone we keep drama out of our space and i do this hand gesture to create boundaries to teach them how to create boundaries you could have drama out there just don't bring it in here and they heard it so much that in fifth grade when they had their first encounter with drama it just came out of them this girl the one girl was picking on this other girl and, and because my girls are twins i would always say you because there's two of you most people are not going to pick on you because if you pick on one you're picking on two but this gives you an opportunity to help other people that can't stand up for themselves. So anyway, there are girls picking on this other girl that they're friends with that's super shy. And Madison's like, Lexi, we live in the drama-free zone. Keep your drama out of our space. <laughs> and, and, then, and then she goes, this was like, whoa. 
She goes, you can become our friend again when you learn to be a better friend. I love it. Love it. And I what? Wait, I didn't teach you that. She goes, <laughs> yeah, you did. You said hurt people hurt people. Happy people don't. And Lexi's parents are going through a divorce right now. So I think she's acting this way because she's hurt. So when her, she's not hurt anymore, she'd probably be a better friend. And I was like, oh my God, kids are so, so smart. But what I loved is that, and so many people just cut people out of their lives and assume that their behavior is who they are yeah. instead of understanding that their behavior is probably what they're going through. It maybe it's not who they are, but just what they're going through. And we all need grace and space sometimes to move through what we're moving through and become a better version of ourselves. And I love that she articulated that and understood that I'm going to give her a chance just when she becomes a better friend. And that little girl modeled Madison and Morgan's behavior and now is their best, 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 best friend. And I call her my third daughter. You know, it's interesting. Like we, you know, people, human beings just jump to conclusions too quickly, don't they, Jen? And it's like, Wait. what the Wait. hell? I mean, you don't know who this person, you know what they're going through and stuff. And it's easy. Yeah. To go, and then they just cut their ties and they're like, oh, that's the end of the relationship type of thing. And it's, it's yeah. sad. It's very sad. It's really sad. It's a majority of conditioning because listen, I teach this like the no drama free, like living in the drama free zone. I mean, right. There's certain people I believe everyone can change. I really, truly do. I've witnessed some pretty insane transformations. Now, people have to want to change. There has to be a desire to go through the pain to change. There has to be a determination to get through the pain to change. Because when we're, when we're healing from trauma or we're going through something, it's easier to be numbed or ignore it and just kind of, this is just what it is and distract yourself instead of actually go through the metamorphosis process of, all right, this sucks and it doesn't feel good. And I don't like what's happening right now, but on the other side, there's this better version of me that's gonna come out. So I do believe everyone can change. I believe that they have to want to, we can't make them. And that's probably one of my biggest things in letting go is letting people do their journey. Cause I can see the potential in people and I can see the pain in people. and. And I want to like push them through the journey. And sometimes people don't want to go or they're not ready to go. And if you don't want to go or you're not ready to go, you're not going. So no matter what I do, no matter what I say. So um, I, I, it's, there's a, a fine balance between identifying the people that are where they are and that's where they want to stay and you creating boundaries or, or just managing your expectations of that person. And, and when we, when we manage our expectations of other people, we, we recognize like, that's just who they are. They now can't affect me because I've now accepted that that's just who they are and their stuff is their stuff and it's not my stuff. But I, I keep out of my space people that, I create boundaries for people who complain a lot. And if, if I, I could model different behavior, but if they're not picking up on it and I feel like it's like energetic abuse in my space, then I create boundaries, but I, I, I never write people off forever. I believe at some point in time, that person could become a different person or that relationship, whatever it is, that dynamic of the relationship could evolve differently. So I always stay open to that, but I manage my expectations in the present moment for who they are. Cause it's easy for me to fall in love with potential people because I, that's what I do for a living, right? So I'm learning to accept people for where they are, not where I could see that they could be until they are there. Love it, love it, love it. Listen, I know we could continue our conversations for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. So yeah. um, I just wanna say, by the way, thank you so much for being on the show. Really enjoyed our conversations. Thank you. I had a blast. Such a fun conversation. Yes, <laughs> fun conversation. And guys, listen, if you've enjoyed some of our conversations, make sure that you connect with Jen on her social media links below. But make sure you also check out her two books on Amazon. You can go check out that. And we'll put those in the links below, Jen, as well. Uh, so people can go check that out as well. And, and go onto their website and go onto your website and stuff like that. So uh, listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today. 
And I told you it was going to be a great show, right? And I and I hope that I haven't disappointed any of you guys. But listen, from from us, hope to hear you, uh, hope to hear from you, and hope to see it from you on the next Game Changers experience. And uh, see you soon. Take care. See you soon. Bye, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Hey, you guys. I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.